Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You are listening to the Therapy Podcast with your host, Shloimi Balsam. Hello and welcome to the Therapy Podcast. The good news is I still have schoolwork to do, so that means I still have more to learn and that means that we can learn this together. What I have a paper on is I have to write what my day would look like with an anxiety disorder. So I figured, let's you and me go through what social anxiety disorder means, what it entails, and then I can plug that into what my daily life would look like through the filter of social anxiety disorder. Now, social anxiety anxiety disorder is often called uh, SAD. The problem is that that's also the initials for separation anxiety disorder and a couple of other anxiety disorders. Um... But it's cool that, you know, you have anxiety disorders that are abbreviated as SAD. Anyways, um, social anxiety disorder is also called social phobia. It's where a person has fear and anxiety in social situations. Where, in order to actually be diagnosed, it has to be impairing his ability to function in some area in his daily life. These fears could be triggered by actual or perceived scrutiny by others. People are... People are looking at me, and that causes me intense, impairing stress. A person with social phobia is terrified that people will evaluate him negative. Now, as as with many anxiety disorders, there are physical symptoms, including uh, blushing, sweating, trembling, palpitations, your heart is racing, nausea, often can come with stammering. And I believe to be a related symptom of rapid speech. If someone's brain is talking so fast, often it won't come out um, cohesively, and that'll lead to stammering. Panic attacks can also be um, manifested when you know dealing with really intense fear and discomfort. We also have to keep an eye out when someone comes in with an anxiety disorder. 
for alcohol and drug abuse because these are things substances can be used to reduce the fears and it's a social lubricant so he'll be able to socialize as long as he imbibes something that's numbing to that anxiety so it's off often people will uh, self-medicate and that can lead to an alcohol use disorder eating disorders if they want to eat their feelings or uh, substance use disorders SAD is sometimes referred to as illness of lost opportunity, where people can make major life choices just to accommodate their illness. Now, according to the ICD-10 guidelines, the main diagnostic criteria for social phobia is a fear of being the focus of attention or fear of behaving in a way that will be embarrassing or humiliating. This will lead to avoidance and anxiety symptoms. A wise man once said that when I was young, I thought that nobody nobody looked at me, nobody cared about me. Then I got older and I thought that everyone cared about me and everyone was looking at me. And now I'm, I'm an old man. And I realize that everyone is just thinking about themselves. People with social phobia don't realize that. And as far as they're concerned, every eye is on them. So how do we treat this? So the first line of defense is CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. There are also pharmaceutical means of treatment such as SSRIs, which are effective, and uh, especially paroxidine. CBT is effective in treating this disorder um, both individually and in a group setting. The goal with CBT is to change the thought patterns and physical reactions, right? Uh, and this anxiety disorders come with actual physical ailments. Like a person can feel like he's having a heart attack in, to the, with such an extreme level of anxiety. So by controlling those thought patterns and by being conscious of those physical reactions, we can look to change those when the client is dealing with an anxiety-inducing situation. The attention given to social anxiety disorder has significantly increased since 1999 with the approval and marketing of drugs for this treatment. There are medications such as antidepressants, the SSRIs, which are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, those are SNRIs, Manoamine oxidase inhibitors, those are MAOIs. They each come with their own set of risks and um, side effects. We'll talk about that in another episode. Other available medications for SAD are beta blockers and benzodiazepines. Now, Hippocrates in like 400 BC was already talking about shyness. So the idea of being bashful, suspicious, goes back hundreds of years, thousands of years. The idea of social phobia was actually uh, composed in, that, in those terms in the early 1900s. Psychologists used to call it social ne neurosis. And they looked at it, it as just a, an extremely shy patient. This is in the 1930s. There was a gentleman named Joseph Wolpe who worked with systematic desens desensitizations and he researched phobias and that's when we got new forms of treatment. Isaac Marx in the 1960s uh, was a British psychiatrist who came up with the idea 
that social phobia has its own separate identity from other phobias. And the APA accepted that and put it into the uh, DSM 3rd edition. In 1989, the idea of uh, the definition of phobia was put as a comorbid of avoidant personality disorder and it came under the chapter of generalized social phobia. Before 1985, it was basically ignored. Michael Leibowitz and Richard Heimberg drew attention to social anxiety disorder. The DSM-4 gave social phobia the name social anxiety disorder, and once it was in the big book, psychologists and sociologists gave it serious research. In the 1990s, paroxetine became the first prescription drug in the U.S. that was approved to treat SAD. Now, how do I know that you're looking? What are some signs and symptoms of a client with social anxiety disorder? So what's interesting about anxiety disorders is that not only are there mental signs and signals and symptoms of the disorder, but there's actually physical behavioral disorders. So you can look at how the client is acting to pick up cues. In cognitive models of SAD, if someone has a social phobia experience, they are flooded with dread of how they're going to present themselves to others. How are people looking at me? They can feel super self-conscious and pay very much self-attention after the activity or have high-performance standards for themselves. Like, no matter what they do, it's not good enough because what are people going to think? According to social psychology theory of self-presentation, someone who has ICD attempts to create a well-mannered impression towards others, but while doing so, believes that they can't. It's normal for people to be self-conscious and to worry what people are thinking, but this is to a whole new level. Before going into an anxiety-provoking social situation, someone with SAD will deliberately review what could possibly go wrong and what are they going to do in every unexpected situation. They think of every worst-case scenario and like, okay, what, what, what's going to happen if... He thinks of me that way. If that guy cracks a joke about how I look, if my zipper's left open, if I show up without pants, every, all like the, the, even if they're super far-fetched, and then even after it's over, they're going to talk about, oh, maybe the, that guy was looking at me that way for the, you know, in the wrong way, and he was taking, he thought of me in this way, in the negative way, and that guy thought I wasn't doing a good job, and the reason why that guy took his call in the middle was because of me. Consequently, at the end of the day, they perceive everything that could have possibly been abnormal as embarrassing. These thoughts could go on for weeks or even longer. Cognitive dis distortions are, are a hallmark. They're twisting the events of what they perceived or what's going to happen into an embarrassing limelight. And this is where CBT comes in. The thoughts are often self-defeating and inaccurate. A, a, a neutral or ambiguous conversation is interpreted as negative and someone with social anxiety disorder will have more negative memories because everything that they experience comes through negatively. See, the real problem is even beyond what they think before and after, while they're in that social situation, they freak out. 
because, oh, maybe that guy heard me uh, muddle that last word. And now they become even more anxious and it's exponential. They start studying, stuttering, sweating, and even having a panic attack. And then they start panicking about, about having a panic attack. I'm like, oh no, what are they going to think if I have a panic attack? As far as behavioral aspects of the diagnosis, it's beyond regular average shyness because it leads to excessive social avoidance and a guy can look like a loner, substantial social or occupational impairment. People with symptoms of social phobia have a fear of social interaction, especially in small groups, uh, dating, parties, talking to strangers, restaurants, interviews. Anything that's going to involve a social interaction is, is virtually impossible for them. It, it seems impossible, and they dread it to the nth degree. They fear being judged by others in society, especially individuals with social anxiety. They're nervous in the presence of people with authority, and they feel very uncomfortable in a physical examination. People who suffer from this disorder may have a, a certain way or say something and then feel embarrassed or humiliated afterward. So as a result, they often tend to isolate themselves from society just to avoid those situations. They can feel uncomfortable uh, meeting people that they don't know and they can act distance when they're in large groups. Sometimes they can show evidence of this disorder by avoiding contact, eye contact. They can be blushing when they're talking to someone. The truth is that um, social anxiety disorder can doesn't have to be in every social situation. There are some people who have social anxiety in private, one-on-one, -on -one, but they thrive on a stage. They thrive in, in large groups. You put them up to perform and they're, they're gold. They are a natural performer. They come off stage and then they don't want to talk. And, it, and the problem is that it seems like they're being rude and aloof and, and arrogant, but the truth, the truth is that they're actually just good old simple terrified. Not of you, but of the social situation, that encounter. According to psychologist B.F. Skinner, phobias are controlled by escape and avoidance behaviors. For example, a student may want to leave the room when he's talking in front of a class. So that's the feeling, the need to escape. And he might avoid verbal presentations because he remembers the last time he had an anxiety attack. So he'll avoid that presentation. So it's escape and avoidance. Major avoidance behaviors could include an almost pathological or compulsive lying behavior in order to preserve self-image and avoid the judgment in front of others. You could have some minor avoidance when a person will engage, but he'll avoid eye contact or cross his arms to conceal the fact that he's actually shaking there. In those events, people will jump into flight or fight mode and they're actually freaking out in a regular everyday social interaction. In adults, social anxiety disorder can cause tearing, sweating, nausea, difficulty breathing, shaking, palpitations, and these, these are all the results of that flight or fight or flight response. Someone could be so self-conscious about how they walk that they'll lose their balance. And you could tell when that kicks in, because when they pass by a group of people, they'll freak out in that moment, and that will cause their losing balance while walking down an empty street, they'll be okay. There'll be a, a large presence of blushing. Then again, he can become conscious of his, self-conscious of his blushing, and that, that can be even worse. That'll escalate 
escalate, escalate the situation. It'll make it worse. There was a study in 2006 that found that the area of the brain called the amygdala, which is part of the limbic system, is hyperactive when patients are shown threatening faces or confronted with frightening situations. So they found that patients with more social phobia showed a correlation with the increased response in the amygdala. So the part of the brain called the amygdala is actually the part that jumps up when there's something threatening or a scary situation. So SAD is a, as far as you know, brain activity, is just a heightened amygdalatic, if that's a word, activity. One of the biggest problems with someone with SAD is that they are considered normal. They look normal. They're just like a little off, maybe kind of like, why aren't you talking to me? They're just very shy. They're just shy people, but they're totally normal, right? These, they can avoid all social situations with all their power, and that can seriously affect their personal relationships. They have an irrational fear of these situations. They can be addicted to social media, uh, have sleep deprivation, and they can actually feel good when they avoid a human interaction. I'm really curious to look more into the, the social media uh, addiction aspect of this because you would think that interacting with people through social media would also be part of that fear, but it seems that this is actually where they run to because people by nature need social interaction. We are social creatures, but with social phobia, I can't handle that. So I'll go to a, a virtual version of social interaction just to get that release, yet it clearly doesn't suffice. It's not the same thing. And this is a clear uh, divide. You could see the chasm between social media uh, socializing and real-life socializing. It's that different. People with social anxiety disorder suffer from low self-esteem, negative thoughts, major depressive disorder in some situations, sensitivity to criticism, poor social skills that don't improve. It's not just a skill that's missing. They're in an incredibly uncomfortable situation. Their, their mind isn't present enough to just apply skills. It doesn't have to be a, a big meeting to trigger an anxiety with social anxiety disorder. It could be a regular, meaningful encounter, even like a trivial one with the guy serving you coffee in the morning. They, these people feel nervous on job interviews, dates, interactions with authority, or at work, just everywhere. It's a crazy life. It can also come with other psychiatric disorders. You know, you have this, the low self-esteem, uh, possible clinical depression. It's uh, one and a half to three and a half times more likely to have serious clinical depression with SAD. There's more of a likelihood in depressive symptoms with SAD than other anxiety disorders. That lack of social connection is so necessary to avoid depression. You could also get generalized, uh, generalized anxiety disorder along with social anxiety disorder. Avoidance personality disorder is also correlated with SAD. Uh, in fact, it, it can be a comorbidity rate of 25 to 89%. FYI, avoidant personality disorder is a whole bunch of personality disorders where the main coping mechanism is avoidance of the feared stimuli. So these are people who run away from everything that could possibly trigger their anxiety. There are a number of theories as to what causes SAD. 
It could be neuroscience, sociology, but we have yet to pinpoint exactly what is the cause. There is a theory of genetics being involved here. If someone has a first degree relative with that disorder, they have a two to three times more likelihood of being at risk for social anxiety disorder. That could be a sociological or genetic factor. There's, there's no real way to know yet. It's, it's incredibly challenging to have a parent who has SAD because they'll be socially, socially isolated and shy. And it's hard to get that connection with a parent, like that parental relationship. Social phobia could be kicked off by a social experience, which is traumatizing. And it's possible to link it back to a specific event where a person had uh, a terrible experience with public speaking and, and never felt like he fit in or if he was bully, re bullied, rejected, or ignored. That could lead to intense shyness and a fear of negative evaluation, especially amongst children who are very susceptible to peer approval. Some people just lack social fluency and that will... Um, generate a lack of confidence in order to, to engage in social interactions. Someone who is socially anxious perceives their own social skills as being low. And there's like a loop there where you have to break out of that and inject some self-confidence and jump out of your comfort zone in order to realize that, you know, it's not me. There's just one skill missing. But it's not that easy when, when it's a real diagnosis. Excessive alcohol can also cause social phobia symptoms and panic disorders. If a person believes in their core that, that they are inept or um, they believe that they're going to be rejected, that thought process supports the anxiety. To, to uh, actually rate and to diagnose someone with social anxiety disorder, we can give them the social phobia inventory the Leibowitz Social Anxiety Scale, uh, the Social Interaction Anxiety Scale. And these are all different ways of, of screening social anxiety disorder to measure its severity. Like every diagnosis, you have to do a differential diagnosis to make sure that it's not something else. So um, we have to eliminate the factors of autism, uh, our Asperger's bipolar disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, which often comes along with social phobia, especially when SCT symptoms are present. SCT is a sluggish, sluggish cognitive tempo where there's a dreaminess, a mental fogginess, hypoactivity, uh, sluggishness, and often steering, inconsistent uh, alertness, and slow working speed. To prevent anxiety disorder, CBT may decrease the number of children with social anxiety disorder um, after completing a program like that. So we have psychotherapy with CBT and we have uh, medication, SSRI for people who aren't interested in therapy or can't handle it. I could see someone with SAD not being able to go into therapy to have that interaction. So maybe SSRIs would be the, the bridge into therapy. There is evidence that acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT, is a, a solid treatment for social anxiety disorder. It's, a, it's an offshoot of the traditional C, CBT, and it has more emphasis on accepting unpleasant symptoms rather than fighting against them. And there's also uh, psychological flexibility where you're able to adapt to changes in situational demands to be able to shift your perspective and balance 
competing desires. ACT can be useful as a second line of treatment for the disorder where CBT is ineffective or refused. In most cases, SAD shows up at an early age. 50% of cases uh, developed by the age of 11, 80% by the age 20. There's uh, various estimations of how prevalent it is between 2 and 7% of the U.S. adult population, but it's out there. It's real, and um, the National Comorbidity Survey of over 8,000 American correspondents in 1994 came out uh, in a 12-month 12, 12 and lifetime prevalence rate of 7.9% and 13.3%. So that makes it the, mo the, the third most prevalent psychiatric disorder after depression and alcohol use disorder. And as far as anxiety diso disorders go, social anxiety disorder is numero uno, top of the list. So I hope you learned something. I know I definitely did. Thank you for listening and learning with me. And uh, feel free to shoot me an email with all your comments and questions at askmetherapy at gmail.com. Stay tuned and have a wonderful day. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.